You are listening to the Melrose Place podcast, where we rewatch, recap, and analyze every single episode of this hit 90s TV series, Melrose Place. I'm Jenny Hill. And I am Dan Hill. Let's get started. Halloween, y'all. This was a very spooky episode. It was so good. Really, really good. Had a lot of, not a lot of treats. But a lot of tricks. Ton of tricks. (laughs) Like, for real. Tricks. Like, tricks, tricks. We get it. Get it? (laughs) Real tricks. Okay. So, this is Season 2, Episode 11, Collision Course. Air date, November 17th, 1993. We open the episode with Allison, Billy, and Jane going through a run through their neighborhood park. They get back to Melrose Place, and Dan, you notice something very pertinent to the last episode. I sure did. First thing, that group run looked terrible. They were all running super close to each other. (laughs) Like, I need space when I run. My elbows go back and forth. I can't be having two people that close to me, like, bumping into me. And then they had a race to Melrose Place, and Allison won? Allison beat Billy? Yeah, so they race back to their front door. Allison tags the door first, and Billy says... Billy's, the first line of this episode is, Cheater! And if you all don't remember, last episode, what happened at the very end? Yeah, Allison shares a kiss with Steve. So this works on a lot of different levels. She cheated! One thing that Dan really pointed out, and so... Um, <laughs> there. Of course, th- this is just done in jest because they just had this fun little run. Um, but he accuses her of cheating, and she she's about to. Um, Jane is like, "Oh, why don't you just come in my house and get a drink?" And he's like, "Yeah, go on, cheater." He calls her a cheater again, twice, twice. This is this is not by accident. So they're going into Jane's apartment to have breakfast, and they run into Joe, who is going to her um, photo lab, and they invite Joe to go have breakfast with them as well, and Joe's like, no, how about another time? Uh, And then Allison tries to say something to Joe, and Joe is like, look, another time, okay? Like, I don't have any time to talk to you, Allison. Yeah, she's still not having it. Allison, at... In this episode, Allison is liked by no one. Yeah. They're, seriously. Including me. I am like, Allison is really losing her luster for me. She is a fallen angel. She was one of my favorite characters all through the first season. And I don't know what it is. I think it's a combination that her and Billy are now together. And they're, 
Her hair just looks awful. <laughs> Every time you see what? her on screen, it's like, oh, get out of here, Woofy. A Woofy? <laughs> sure, I feel That's a new one. New nickname. <laughs> woofy. Uh, well, you know, Amanda helps facilitate some of that, uh, that disdain that di- we might yeah. have. Yeah. Like she always, she always analyzes Allison and breaks her down. And it's like, Allison, you realize that you're terrible, right? <laughs> and then us as the, the, the viewer, we're like, yeah. She is. She really is. She does take, she does like to dangle fruit. Yeah. In front of people. So Joe goes on her way, and Allison then confides in Jane about her kiss with Steve. Bad move, bro. Right. And it's like, who knows where Billy is? You, They're steps away from him. It's like, Allison, you've done this before in the laundry room. And what happened? Yeah, and she's, like, giggling, like, I kind of like him. I'm really attracted to him. And, of course, Jane just coming off of this horrible divorce that the reason being her husband was cheating on her, Jane does not take too kindly to this news, and she's really disappointed to hear it. And she tells Allison that that she shouldn't poach off of other people's relationships. Yeah, she she cuts her off. She's like, um, I would advise you to fucking not... Yeah. Like, don't fucking do that. Allison is like, it's not my fault. And then Jane's like, yeah, just like it wasn't Michael's fault or Kimberly's fault or anybody else's fault. It was the fate in the stars. Well, you know what? Get over yourself. And if you want to see Steve, you got to tell Billy. Yeah. Leave people's, leave people alone. And if you're going to cheat, just dump them. Yeah. Just, Uh, just leave them. Don't do, like, I um, you gotta really question Allison's mind at this point. Like, just she's just not the person to talk to about how you cheated. A woman who just gotten a, got, had a, just finalized a divorce. Yeah, because I, of cheating. I agree. So we go over to the hospital where Michael creeps up on Kimberly and is like, oh, Kimberly, I have to talk to you now. And of course, Kimberly is not having it. She's like, Michael. No, get out of here. I don't have time for you. And he Mike, just he disregards everything she says. Yeah, and he's saying all the like textbook stuff to get to get back in good graces. He's like, "Oh, I, you know what? I actually appreciate you now. And I've been so blind, Kimberly. You are my sunshine." I see it. You've cared about me all along. I want you forever. I want you forever. And she's like, Michael, I got to go. And we agreed this is all business. Right. So she leaves him just groveling at her feet. Uh, the next scene is over two shooters where Sydney and her coworker Ellen are setting up for the lunch rush. Ellen, played by Gina Gershon, known for her work on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Face Off and Showgirls. I know her from Showgirls. I've seen Showgirls, but I don't remember her. Yeah. I only watched that for, for the boobies. <laughs> and to see Jesse from Saved by the Bell. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why we all watched it. But the dude, you know, the dudes just were like, I I fast forward to just the boobs. Oh, gotcha. 
Sydney notices that Ellen has a really fancy watch and it's kind of like, hey, how does this girl that's just working the lunch rush at Shooters have this really nice watch? And Ellen is like, oh yeah, it's a gift. Actually, I'm going to this really A-list happening party in the hills tonight. Do you want to tag along? And, and Sydney's like, Really? Oh my gosh, sure. That sounds great. This 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 conversation doesn't work for me. It's so fabricated. Like this sort of like in passing, like getting ready for your shift, you see somebody's watch, all you would say is, That's a dope watch. You wouldn't get into like, how'd you get that? Dan, no, that is not true. But gir- girls like are girls like that. Do. That's, okay. And it's stupid. Hey. I like your I like your top. Oh, awesome. I got it at Target. It was 30% off. I mean, that's just yes. Well, in this case, she'd be like, "Oh, this watch? Fucked for it." <laughs> you know, why not just come out and say it then? That leads us um, to what happens a little bit down in later in the episode. Uh, Sydney is back at Melrose Place and she goes to Jane's apartment, which if you remember how Jane and Sydney left things, you would think that she would never be going back to Jane's, but she knocks on Jane's door. Jane answers and it's like, what do you want? Um, don't be mad, okay? This friend of mine asked me to go to a really fancy party. And so you see, I looked in my closet and the only dress I have is really out of date. So I was thinking, um, maybe you might want to come. And if I could borrow one of your dresses, you have such cool designs. I'll take really good care of it. And Jane is like deadpan, like, what in the fuck is this girl doing at my doorstep? She's like... Sydney, you amaze me. And Sydney is like, oh, is that good? Right. And I <laughs> I, appre- I appreciate this because it shows like just how far off the off the, the, the reservation Sydney is. Which also sets up something later. Like she's just oblivious. She's crazy. To, to what she to what to her actions and what they mean to other people. She's oblivious to how things affect other people. Yeah, that is completely true. She even goes on to say, Jane, I make one mistake and you totally just cut me out of your life. And Jane is like, Sydney, you did not make a mistake. You slept with my husband. And it just rolls off her. She's like, meh, meh, oh, Okay, well. So and, can I borrow the dress? Yeah, so Jane is like, <laughs> get out of here. Do not bother me. I don't want to see your face again. Goodbye. She's trying to rock that Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> act like it didn't happen. Uh, so we now go to Kimberly. It's been a long day at the hospital. She's walking out to her car. She gets in only to find Michael Mancini is sleeping in her passenger side seat. Freaking stalker game. Crazy. He's like, oh, I still have the keys, so I thought I'd just wait for you. I didn't want to miss you. Didn't want to miss you, so I just... Slept in your car like a psycho. Yeah, and Kimberly is like, Michael, get out of 
of here. What are you doing? Oh, Kimberly, I just had to talk to you. You're right. I've been a liar. I didn't deserve you. I'm changing. I ruined everything. And okay, this is the weird thing. He starts crying, and then Kimberly gets really uncomfortable because I guess she said this many times before. She doesn't like mushy men. She doesn't like, you know, dealing with emotions. It's more just like she wants her man to be like hard and like like no emotion and like really rough. And she's like, Michael, just get a tissue out of the goddamn glove box and be a, be a man. And then he gets a tissue and like looks at her and starts laughing. And it was a very weird choice. It's like, it struck me as the crying before just was not genuine in any way. And Michael, just the delusional, deranged, crazy person that he was, was like, okay, I'm going to try crying. And that tactic didn't work. So he's like, "Ah, (laughs) well, uh, Well, I don't know, Kimberly, I'm just going through all these emotions. You can tell that Marsha Cross is a great actor because she reacts without words to to the lines like you can you can actually tell when she like lets Michael back in. Oh, I think Marsha Cross is probably one of the best actors in the entire awesome. series. She's so awesome. I love I mean, and up until now from what I hear, she gets crazier, but um we actually watched and this episode with Darren Starr's commentary, right, which was a real treat. And if you don't have the box set for Melrose Place, we gleaned a lot of really interesting facts and little tidbits of info about the series as a whole. That's right. And they actually kept Andrew Shu in the basement <laughs> this for the entire run. That's why he's batshit insane. That is a lie. There was nothing <laughs> said about Andrew Shue. And, and, and Courtney Thorne Smith's hair is a helmet. No, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Darren Starr did say that, you know, one of the reasons when Kimberly goes so off the rails in later episodes that a, a, a lot of people were invested in her and her character is because she was so grounded in the episodes that we were getting to know her. And I, yeah, she's all of us. Yeah. I mean, I really relate to her. I feel like she has really genuine reactions and, uh, the decisions I, like I'm, Michael throws a party. She's like, what the fuck is I, who's gonna set this thing up? Yeah, I and then <laughs> and then like uh, uh, drunk sisters laying in her bed. She's like, "Go get her out of my bed." Yeah. <laughs> like she and then like she's just go get her out of the shower, please. Yeah, I think you know Marsha Cross does a great job in making you really feel for Kimberly. I know I do. I, of course, don't think that it's great that she's started dating a married man in the beginning, but hey, the heart wants what it wants. And I think that she was one of the characters that I really identify with. Um, so What? Should I be worried? <laughs> well, we haven't gone to the craziness yet. And, you know, I, we don't really know exactly what that craziness is is, but it, it was just a, a really fun tidbit of information. But getting back to the scene. Yeah, so um, she she reacts to this line. He says, Michael says, I don't deserve you, but I can't live without you. And that, like, you see it on her face, that, like, that turns her to be like, oh, Michael, in her head. Oh, God. <laughs> and he, and then even Michael says, after he does a little weird laughy thing, I guess I'm just trying to wear you down. 
Yeah. Oh, like he is, he is a master manipulator and he's even telling her his plan and it's working. And he's just like, so can, can I see you again? She's like, Yes, motherfucker, just get out yeah, of the it's car. Almost like I gotta she, go. She's just so exasperated and she's like, fine, okay, maybe, yeah. Yeah, okay, you can take me out to dinner, but you gotta get out of here. I'm really tired. Like, sure, sure, okay, Kimberly, I'm, I'm out of your hair. I am out of your hair. Goodbye. Yeah, and so she drives away and he's like, Kimberly, I love you. Yeah, he's really laying it on thick. Yeah. So now we are off. To the A-list party with yeah. Ellen and Sid. So this takes place at a beautiful mansion that overlooks the Hollywood Hills. They're out by this pool. You Sid- see the skyline. Sydney's like starry-eyed rookie, like, oh my God, I, I feel like I'm in People magazine. <laughs> Gee Willikers, is that Bob Hope? <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many beautiful girls. They're all dressed to the nines, and um, we- she is she is out out dressed. She's in like a flowery like sort of. I would imagine like like you'd go to like a tennis match in that or like yeah, a, like a summer like cocktail party outdoor. Yeah, she's in this little floral sundress while the rest of the gals are really dressed up. They've to all impress. got they've all got get them dresses on. They got them get them dresses. <laughs> So we pan over to um, this girl who we will be introduced to later, Lauren Etheridge, who is the hostess of the party. And there is this skeevy, really not nice looking man with her. I, this guy is just like creep written all over him. And he's like scanning the crowd of girls. Like, and he, he's, he, he's perusing. Yeah. His eyes. Perusing. Is it perusing? Perusing. Uh, his eyes go over to Sydney's direction. Oh, who's that? How much is she? Yeah. And it's like, gives us the first indication that, Oh, this is a prostitution ring. These girls are on the clock. (laughs) (laughs) They are for sale. So um, Ellen sees Lauren, the hostess party, who is, you know, the madam, if you will. Lauren Etheridge is played by Christian Alfonso. Oh, exotic. Yeah, it's spelled very weird. K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Christian. Christian. Christian, yeah. Uh, she is, she's played Hope Brady on Days of Our Lives from 1983 to now. That's a great gig. Yeah. That's a great, that's a job security right there. Yeah, I was researching her before we started recording and I like just Googled images of her and she is not human. She hasn't (laughs) aged. She hasn't aged for, for like, 30 years. Good for her. She looks the exact same. Uh, she's also Frankie from Who's the Boss? And she also plays a judge in the famous Full House episode where Joey goes on Star Search. Ooh. Do you remember that one? Uh, and he loses. Vaguely. Oh. Yeah, he loses. Ellen takes Sydney over to meet Lauren and introduces her as the hostess. And of course, Sydney is like, I'm sure you get this all the time, but gee, your house is just amazing. Thank you so much for having me over. This has been just swell. And yeah. 
we find out that this skeevy creep that was checking out Sydney is a big time movie director. Yeah. Carl Kanan. Right? Carl Kanan. He's a big deal also in the uh, the soap world. Uh, Stephen Nichols. He played uh, Stephen Cassidine in General Hospital. And he's, I remember my mother talking about Stephen or Stephen Cassidine as like the worst. <laughs> and like she used to watch soaps and, and uh, now I think he's on Days of Our Lives as well. It's interesting to see that you would, you know, just watch it. If you just watch Melrose Place, you would never know. Yeah, but all these me. people are soapy. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, Melrose Place was billed as a late night talk show. Soap I mean, show. Oh, I'm sorry. A late night soap show. Yeah. So it makes sense that they did draw from soap stars of the day. Uh, yeah, so Carl Kanan, he, he's like super interested in Sydney. And Lauren is just like, okay, well, I'll set that up. She's talking to Sid. She tells her to just go inside and eat. Yeah, she's like, we've got a great spread. Go on inside. And then Sydney kind of goes aside to Lauren. is like, I can be somewhat of a geek sometimes. I hope I'm not embarrassing you. And, oh, go ahead. And Lauren just sees like dollar signs like, oh, no, honey, you're perfect. Go ahead inside. And, and Sydney eats that up. She could see, like, she gets boosted off of being told that she's great. Well, and you know... Because no one tells her she's great. And honestly, where her character is right now, she's been rejected by her family, by Michael. She's looking for a place to belong, and Mm -hmm. these people are showing her love and interest. And I can understand how someone in her position could feel, could get swept up in that. Yeah. Very easy. So... Literally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we go over to D&D, Allison's on the phone, and Joe comes in to drop off some prints. Yep, she drops off some prints, and I took some photos. I had to stop it. I had to take some photos of that helmet hair, Allison's. It is getting out of control. Oh, God. Allison, you... They got to put the hair in the credits soon. You used to be like <laughs> the all-American, just beautiful California girl, and now... I don't know She's what. doing this, like, comb over. Yeah, why are they doing this to her? <laughs> like, this, it's not, like, I understand what, like, a layered haircut is, but they're, like, only layering the side of her head. <laughs> and, and it's, it's like, it looks like, like a mane. Yeah, it looks like she got her hair cut with a weed whacker. Like, I know it's we just talk like about one... this every time, guys, but it's just so jarring every time we see her on screen. You'd think we'd be used to it. But it's still, it it just it's. I've ugh. cut I've cut better Barbie hair, <laughs> and Barbie hair is so hard to cut. Oh man, I've done miracles on that shit. <laughs> Anyone could. Anyone could cut this shit better. Okay, so maybe okay. maybe I remember that Allison goes blind. Maybe all of this is in the future. And she cut her own hair. I don't know. When she was blind. I don't know. So getting back to the scene, Joe walks in, Allison gets off the phone, and guys, what does Allison say to Joe? She says, oh, that was Steve on the phone. He sends his best. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, why would you ever... What? Why would you ever, in your right mind, uh, 
offer that information. Strike two. Yeah, and of course, Joe Saying like, the wrong looks shit. at her like she's crazy. And then she says to Joe, can't we be friends, Joe? We need to really straighten this out. And Joe's like, Allison, I don't think so. And so then Allison starts going on the defensive for Steve. Oh, well, Steve can be a little insensitive and impulsive and indecisive. But, you know, he's really a great guy deep down, Joe, okay? And she's like, and Joe, I'm with Billy. And then Joe says some awesome shit. She's like, well, um, if you're really with Billy, why the hell are you going on and on and on about Steve? Which is so true. And it's like she walked into that one. You're trying to repair your relationship with Joe. Why bring up Steve the very first moment you see her? Because she is clearly an idiot. Yeah, really. The more we get to know Allison, I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Keith, Keith fucked her up, man. With that, Joe's on her way. We're off to shooters, guys. And Lauren, from the night before, shows up and lets Sydney know that Carl is down to see her. Now, this is clue number, I don't know, three or four, that, that this is some pay-to-play shit. Because if Carl wanted you, Sydney, he'd have just said something to you there. And wouldn't need this, like, workaround. But you have to put yourself in Sydney's shoes. She is a Midwestern gal. She is college-aged. I mean, like, she should, she's kind of a college dropout. I think she's probably late teens, early 20s. She doesn't know a lot about the world. And, I mean, back in 93, there was no such thing as the Internet. I mean, people... I don't, I don't think you need to know a lot about the world to... To think that that this woman is a pimp. No, I I disagree. I, <laughs> I would disagree. be like, huh, that's weird. Why doesn't why doesn't Carl just you know swing by? She probably thinks Carl and Lauren are friends. After she met Carl initially at the party, he expressed interest in her and asked Lauren to maybe set something up. I can completely see how a naive young girl from the Midwest who really has not had a lot of life experience could think. Hey, this big time movie guy is interested in me. And then if we put ourselves into her headspace too, it makes a lot of sense. So she's over the moon. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like jumping for joy. He wants to see me? Me? And she's very excited. And yeah, she's super pumped. So she she agrees to to go meet Kyle. Kyle. What's his name? Carl. Carl. And Ellen says, okay, she's friends with one of Carl's friends. They could do a double date because, of course, Sydney is feeling a little, um, I guess, Anxious. nervous because she doesn't have a lot of real world experience. What, she's gonna, what is she going to talk to him about? And so they decide that they're going to go on a double date that evening. Now, Billy comes home from work. He has one of... He wears two ties in this episode, and they both look a lot alike, and that's not good because they are both horrendous. They are so bad. It looks like it looks like a whiteout pen like exploded on his tie. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so terrible. And Billy, he ties the worst knots in his shoes, in his um, in his neckties. They're so, so tight. No one wears that tight a necktie unless you're trying to like kill yourself. Well, he, he comes home. He cut. Yeah, he comes home. And there's 
a romantic dinner with a boombox playing again some generic stupid song. And whenever this happens now that we're aware of this, I always try to think, okay, what song was playing? And I feel like Better Man by Pearl Jam would We've be got, playing in this. We have several musical correspondents now on our Facebook We really group. do, and we're going to talk about one at the end of the show. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I am thinking, like, in my brain, Pearl Jam is playing. I think Shoop, Salt, and Pepper again. <laughs> They're just playing Shoop over shoop. and over again. Hey, yeah. <laughs> well, Allison wants to Shoop with him. So she comes out of the room. And also to your point, you know, there's been a lot of like makeup dinners in Melro in and around Melrose Place. Yeah. If I came home at Melrose Place and there's like a lovely dinner set up, I would immediately just be like, All right, what's up? What did you do? What's going on? <laughs> so what's happening? Of course, this is an indication that Allison feels guilty about her kiss with Steve. She's trying to make it up. She's like all over Billy. She's wearing a is she in like a silky robe this yeah, time? Yeah, it's like a silky, like I don't like I a wanna call it like a jumper. And and Billy's like, oh, Allison, you're naked under here. Are you naked <laughs> under there? <laughs> She's like, dude, that's your sister, man. <laughs> and so um, she's like, yeah, and I'd even watch football if it was Monday night. I just want to make all this up to you, Billy. I just haven't been spending a lot of time with you, and I want to show you how much I appreciate you and love you. Barf. <laughs> Seriously, barf. Next scene, Michael and Kimberly are out to dinner. And Michael's drunk, straight oh, up. Hammered. From the first line he delivers, he's like, oh, Kimberly, I gotta tell you, when I'm in my, my beach house, the waves are crashing, and I just can't miss you and lonely. He's so loaded that today, like, he'd get cut off at the, at the restaurant. Yeah. They'd be like, sir, I'm sorry, I can't serve you anymore. So they're crushing bottles of champagne. They're talking kind of about the glory days and how things were and and living apart has been so lonely. And Okay, what was the libido line? She says, you know what, I think all this talk about the waves keeping you up at night is really your guilty conscience. And then he says, what's the matter? Are you afraid your libido may get loose? And she says, I'm afraid it already has. So kind of indicating that, like, she's ready to go. They talk about libidos a lot. Like, they said the word, it's like a buzzword on Melrose Place. Maybe in the 90s, like, that Your libido. Like, Billy has said it. He's like, that's not, it's about your libido. (laughs) What the fuck is a libido? Is this just a sex drive? drive? Yeah. Yeah. But I swear, like, I think I've heard libido maybe four or five times. <laughs> in your life. And it's all been <laughs> in this this uh, several months of doing Melrose Place. I've heard the word libido too many times. So Kimberly is like, doctor, why don't you take me home and we'll see about what we can do about those waves. And at that. And then he pours out the bottle into his champagne glass and he shakes it out. Like, who's doing that? No, I don't think he does that yet. Before he does that, he brings out a very important prop. 
Oh, a very right. important, a very important thing. He pulls out a ring box from his pocket. That's right. Puts it on the table, and Kimberly's like, "Michael, what is this? What What are you doing?" She opens it. And it's like a two-carat pear-cut diamond ring. And she's like, oh, Michael, what the hell is this? If this was two months ago, great. But now, nah. Yeah, he's like, Kimberly, marry me. I want to be with you. And she's like, Michael, I was with you during your first marriage. Don't you, don't you remember that? Like, I know how this goes. And no. I am not going to marry you. Yeah, she's done. And, and she's like, get the check. I'll be at the car. And that's when he just takes the rest of the champagne bottle. Whoops. It's like, <laughs> dumps it in his glass. Yeah, he's just like, fuck it. He's like, he takes the check, pays the bill. And they're off, man. They are off. So they're in their car. They're driving. And um, she's kind of softening to the idea of marriage. And she's like, Michael, I just thought that we could be more realistic with one in, one another. He's I mean, swerving. And he's like... Swerving he in the cutlass. wasted. Swerving he's, in the cutlass. He's like, to like going to his pocket, pulling out the ring box, and he's like, oh, Kimberly, just look at my box. They're driving, and there's these exterior shots of the car, like driving down the road, and they're not on busy streets. Like, I feel like they're on Topanga Canyon or like Mulholland or something. I don't even, it's not even that, it's not that busy. There's like, there was, there was a parked car that he almost hit and he like swerves away from it. But other than that, it's really, you're really in plain, you know, plain Jane like surface roads. So like there's not a lot of obstructions, but... There, he's fumbling around. He's pulling out the ring, and he's like, "Come on, just, 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 just put it on. Try it just, on. Just try try it, on. it on." And she starts. She's a little kid in a candy store now. She's like, "Oh my God, Michael, no!" Yeah, and she's, and like, she's oh, so come cute. On. Like I love, I love her reaction. She's so cute. She puts it on, and she's like, "Oh my God, Michael, how many carrots is this?" And he's like, "Come on, say it, like, come say, on, it, say, say it, it, say it. Say you'll, you'll marry me. Say you'll marry me." And she's like, yes, I'll marry you. And at that, he looks over to her. They kiss. Then Kimberly faces forward only to see that Michael is about to run off the road. And she's like, Michael. And we see an exterior shot of this car go flying through the air, flip down an embankment on to its top upside down and yeah, really up, up against a brick wall it which was looked a, like it looked like the the begin, like the foundation of a house that was being built no, it i feel like they're in the in a canyon somewhere mm. like that i mean i feel like that's why it's like Topanga or like Mulholland where you do have these really steep embankments just right off of the road there is no guardrail and i mean like i thought it was an amazing stunt yeah, it's good stunt. Really, it was a great, a great car crash. It was really convincing, and it's like, damn, those people are dead. Right. So if we were watching this back in '93, this would have been a hard commercial break. So you'd have gotten like three or four commercials, and then they come back, like to that the was, very scene. To that very scene, the car is smoking, and you hear just like, oh, somebody help me! Sirens are different in the distance. And then we have EMTs and police officers running over to the car. We see Michael pinned inside. His 
face is bloodied. He can hardly open his eyes. Please help me. He's just screaming for help. And the EMT is like, how many in the car? How many in the car? Michael's like, one, uh, uh, two. Oh, oh my God, Kimberly. And he looks down and we see Kimberly completely passed out. She's bloodied up. bloodied as well, but she's unconscious. And she does not look good. I don't know if they were wearing seatbelts or what, but they, I mean, it, it ain't good. It ain't good, guys. Don't drink and drive. So they're cutting them out of the car, and we then go to a point of view shot on Michael on a gurney, and he's being wheeled into the hospital. And he's can I, just saying... Sorry, can I just say that the, like the shots of inside the car and the makeup and all the EMTs and everything is really cool to see that level of production in in that like that can be done like very cheaply and shittily for for lack of a better word like the blood was great yeah it was very drippy it wasn't like ketchup it wasn't or too red you yeah know? it wasn't too red it looked real it looked like a real scene it was really good and yeah. i mean really we are watching it knowing a little bit about what's to come and I mean, we are both on the edge of our seats, like, oh yeah. my god! Yeah, it was it was it was good. And then, like you were saying, they're wheeling him in. That the the creative the creativeness of having the camera like on the the stretcher, so yeah. like we have the view of the stretcher like going through yeah, the it's hospital. Yeah, like his point of view, and he's just mumbling, "Oh no, oh no." Oh, no. And Michael is thinking that Kimberly is dead, of course. So, yeah, he's just like, Kimberly. We hear chatter from different EMTs kind of trying to apprise the doctors of, like, what their conditions are. They're saying, you know, he's seems like he has some back injuries. He's got, uh, like, broken tibia. But the girl's bad. The girl's really bad. And then? Who comes to the rescue? Dude, my favorite person of the episode. Katya is running the show. Yeah. I mean, running it. She is the attending physician at, I mean, I guess like this is ER, and she is calling the Code shots. Code blues. Yeah. She's I like, mean, Code blue, let's run it, let's go. I think she even dropped the accent. She was just like, it's <laughs> fucking go time. No, I, I think that accent is through and through. She was killing it. I, I didn't think she had it in her. I thought she was just one of those like, Okay, I'll give you the stitches. No, no, she's great. She goes over to Kimberly. She feels for the pulse. There is no pulse there. And that's when she's like, Call the blue. We do not have a pulse on the woman. Go, go, go. And then they just start like running through the hospital. It It is like... Katya's kicking ass. Your heart is racing. You're like, oh my God, what's going to happen to our characters? And, and it makes me question, okay, so Katya is like this kind of doctor. So... Why did she only have a thousand bucks to offer to Matt to okay. marry her? You know, you brought this up before, and I feel like because at that time she was an intern and her internship was up, and they didn't have a position for her at the hospital. Somehow, after she got her citizenship, she got hired back at the hospital, probably at a higher position than what she was, and now As, she's like, probably staff making, director. I I don't know. Like head, I don't know what you call head doctor, but 
She was calling all the shots. Yeah. So we now cut over to the exterior of Melrose Place. It's the um, courtyard. And Sydney's walking down from her apartment with her coworker, Ellen. It turns out Ellen had loaned her this dress for her to wear on this big double date that they're going to go to at this cool club. And Ellen instructs Sydney to say that we're going to the hyena club because it's the coolest club in town. The hyena. (laughs) So they're all jazzed about this big date, but as they're walking out to go to the hyena club, Matt comes rushing in and Sydney tries to introduce Matt to Ellen, but Matt says, Sydney, I don't have time. Kimberly and Michael have been in a really bad car accident. Katya just called me. I have to go tell everybody. Matt's always the town crier. He is. He's like, the British are coming. (laughs) (laughs) He's always the one that's like stuck in the middle, has to deliver the news. He's like the go-between for a lot of... So he's the first guy at the hospital. He's he's going to your to your your, your pregnancy tests. He's the guy that's your getting dance recitals at your your party that you throws that you do throw at Melrose Place. Like yeah. he's the helper. He's cooking your your Thanksgiving meals. He's doing it. Your Christmas dinners. So he is going to go tell everybody at Melrose Place, which this is kind of weird to me too. Why does everybody in the apartment complex need to know immediately that Michael and Kimberly have been in a car accident? It's a family there. It's like, he's like, I got to tell everybody. And Sydney is like, and okay. And it's like, dude, Michael doesn't, hasn't lived there for a long time. Yeah, and a lot of the characters aren't cool that what he did to Jane. And a lot of the characters don't even know Kimberly. They did all, well, they did all go to the party. Remember he had the the house party? Jake, well, Amanda. the guys did. The guys and Amanda did. Right. But the girls Yeah, the girls did not. Yeah. I don't yeah, I don't know if Joe knows Kimberly. Have they ever met? I don't know. I don't know. But I, mean, I don't know. So Sydney is like, I'll go tell Jane, you get the rest of them. I'll meet you at the hospital with Jane. And Ellen is like, um, Sydney, hello, we're about to go out to this date. We're about to make this money. <laughs> What's going on? And Sydney is like, no, I can't. My brother-in-law has been in a really bad car accident. I'm sorry. You've got to tell Carl that I, I just can't make it. And Ellen says, well, you know Lauren's going to be really mad. And Sydney is like, I'm sorry. What can I do? My family's in trouble. I got to go. So... You know, Ellen's like, whatever, and she leaves. And then Sydney bangs on Jane's door. Jane answers in her robe. And Sydney is like, It's the middle of the night. Yeah. Jane, Jane, you have to come quick. Michael and Kimberly have been in a really bad car accident. And of course, Jane is like taken aback. And she's like, And and Sid is just like, In the hospital. She's like, He's in the hospital. Let's go. She just assumes that Jane is like, going to be like, Okay, lickety split. I'm off. Coming with you. Robert emerges from the bedroom and he's like, what's going on? And then Jane tells him that Michael's been in a car accident. And it's kind of like, it almost is as if Jane was going to go with Sydney. I disagree. No, I feel like at first she was like contemplating it. And then she sees Robert and she's like, 
Okay, yeah. Why would I go rushing to Michael's bedside? I got the feeling that her initial thoughts were, mm, I'm good. <laughs> no, I, I mean, maybe that's the way that you interpreted it, but I, I saw it the other way and that... But Robert being Robert was like, Jane, if you need to go, go for it. And Sydney's like, oh, well, thanks for your approval. That's her husband. And <laughs> Jane is like, um, Sydney, no, he's not. Not anymore. When are you going to realize this? I am not married to Michael. And Sydney, upon hearing this, is flabbergasted. She's just like, I can't believe you wouldn't come to the hospital. You'd rather be here with your lover. She's like, get over yourself. You're a horrible, unfeeling bitch. Yeah. Wow. What? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that sort of reaction, it, it, again, is Sydney just not understanding what life is. Yeah. Insane. Like, dude, they're divorced. He cheated, and then he fucked you. Like, why would Jane... The, Run the, to his bedside. The fact that Jane isn't just high-fiving Robert right now is like... I wouldn't be shocked at that. If she, was, if she looked at Sydney and was like, good, I would be like, well... <laughs> I'd be like, hey, well, you know, he, he ruined her life yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And he had sex with your sister, so... I mean, to wish death upon him would not be out of the question if I were Jane. Yeah. So that takes us back to the hospital where Katya is talking with Michael and kind of letting he, him know where he stands with his injuries. And he's, she's telling him that he has severe back injuries, that they may need to fuse some vertebrae. Uh, but all Michael wants to know, how is Kimberly? And then Katya... Oh, Katya's got to lay it on him. Well, she's like, uh, Kimberly is stable. And he was like... No, he says she has a lot of problems. No. So she says, Kimberly is stable. And he's like, and he says, come on, doctor. You don't have to play that with me. Tell me what's going on. Tell me the truth. And that's when she's like, she has a lot of problems, including severe head injuries. It's... Serious. Very serious. Katya, gotta lay it down. Tell him, shoot him straight. We pan over to the waiting room where Billy and Allison are waiting for, to hear about Michael and Kimberly's condition. Then Sydney... Makes no sense why Allison is there. Why are they there? Allison, I mean, it makes sense for Billy to be there because he's tried to maintain a relationship with him, but Allison has like specifically sworn... Sworn him off. Like, she's the one who wanted to have that, like, pity party for Jane. And she when he insists. Was having a party. Billy is the one that's like, I think we should go home. There's, we're not going to be able to see them. And 
And then Allison is like, no, I think we need to stay. So at that moment, Sydney runs in hysterical and sees Matt and is like, Matt, where did you go? I came out and you were gone. It took me forever to get a cab. And Matt's like, I thought Jane was coming with you. No, no, but I have to see Michael now. I have to see him. Where is he? And she just like beats down the door. She runs back into the emergency area where Michael is being wheeled into surgery. He can hear Sydney's cries and recognizes that familiar voice. And then Sydney runs over to see the battered, bruised Michael laying on that hospital gurney. And she's just screaming, I love him, Michael. I love you. I love you. And he looks at her and he's like, he can only like open half his mouth. And he's just like, this is fully your fault. If it wasn't for you, stay away from me. <laughs> He's and, like turned into Two Face. Yeah. And then stay Sydney, away. Sydney's face just turns to twisted horror and agony. No, no, Michael. And she's, she just runs off. Yeah. And so she leaves the ER, set, the ER area. And then a police officer comes over to Katya and asks her to get the blood work for Michael and Kimberly because they suspect that this was an alcohol-related accident. And this was this part was so comical because if you look at Michael on the 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 stretcher, his eyes immediately open up when they say blood alcohol. He's like, "What? Like, oh, 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 what? Ding, ding, ding!" <laughs> It's just like the freaking light bulb goes off like, oh shit. Yeah. I'm in trouble. So back in the waiting area, Sydney is visibly upset and Matt is trying to console her and tries to bring over some coffee and just like acknowledging that this has to be a really difficult situation for her and offers some advice that it's probably not going to be a realistic expectation to get Michael back as a friend, but... He does have some really great counselor friends that could maybe help her repair her relationship with her sister. And all that shit falls on deaf ears. Sydney's just like, hey, man, you're like a sweet guy and all, but you don't know shit. She says, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And here it's like, Sydney, you are 100% batshit crazy. You're delusional Real piece of work. Yeah, that's Sydney for you. So after Matt is babysitting Sydney, Amanda and Jake show up, and it's like, meh, why? Why are they there? Who knows? And Amanda's like, I came as soon as I got the message on my machine. Why? Yeah. Do you know Michael? You, you've you met Michael when he crashed Matt's wedding. I think that's the only time you actually had like some sort of... And, and she went to his house party. That's it. That's true. She did. But enough to merit that you're going to be waiting in the, the hospital waiting room for him to get out of surgery? Yeah, it's very... It's just, it's, that's probably the loosest relationship it's there. It's weird. And you know what? Did you notice this? Joe and Jake, they see each other... And they have a, a tiny little moment where, and Jake looks at her and he's like, it's crazy, right? Or he says something like, puts it into perspective, doesn't it? And she's like, yeah. And it's and almost like, like they want to hug. 
And then they like avoid each other purposefully and walk away. I think I think there's still some love there. There's yeah, still some love there. And this just woke them up like, hey, anything can happen. Maybe for sure. Maybe it's a motorcycle metaphor. Like we both ride bikes. <laughs> this is an automobile accident, and we're playing with fire. Maybe. Who maybe. knows? Maybe. So it's now the following day, and we're back at Shooters, where Ellen is letting Sydney know that Lauren was really mad that she ditched out on this big date that she had set up with Carl Kanan, the big Hollywood director. Right. But here's where we get the breakdown of what's going on with Michael. Sydney's saying he's basically paralyzed, and she tells Ellen, like, He's kind of my boyfriend. Yeah, she is like, again, we just see another layer of her delusionalness. She's like, like, he's not only my brother-in-law, but he's also my boyfriend. Yeah, my sister knows, but she pretends. And now I just feel like I'm going to just date around because after all of this and with the accident and everything, it's just we're going to have to take some time off. So. And Ellen is eating it up. She's like, oh, sweet. This girl's a whore. <laughs> she's like, this is perfect. I was trying to hide that we're whores, but she seems to already be one. And she's like, you know, Sid, <laughs> you come off real innocent, but you really know your way around, don't you? And Sydney's just like, yep, sure do. Hey, where'd you get that watch again? Who do I got to fuck to get one of those <laughs> Well, watches? okay, to be clear. Who, whose dick I got to suck to get it. one of them watches? To be clear. Sydney is not hip to this game. She does not know that that Ellen is one of Lauren's met like one of her little prostitutes. And at this time too, the whole Heidi Fleiss case was like breaking wide open. Oh right, yeah, so, that's what Darren Star was. Yeah, saying. so in the commentary, Darren Star said that this really that that created a lot of fodder for. For this episode, mm-hmm. um, so they make a plan to go check out the hyena club tonight, and they're gonna get. She's gonna set up the date again, and they're gonna go out, and everything's gonna be fine. Now we're back at the hospital, where Michael is sort of dealing with the fact that he's paralyzed, and he's sort of fighting with Katya that it's temporary, yeah, and that he and can how- get through it. How condescending is Michael to Katya in this scene, by the way? He's just like, you don't know anything, doctor. My medical knowledge is a little bit more advanced than yours. (laughs) I think I know what my probabilities are going to be for walking doctor. And Katya's not having it. Matt walks in. She's just like, here's all yours, Matt. (laughs) I got bigger fish to fry. (laughs) So she's like, there are no guarantees. (laughs) Those are my favorite lines. Dude, Michael, you owe Katya your life yeah. now. Yeah. Katya saved your life. So when Matt comes in, Michael wants to know how Kimberly's doing, and we learn she's not good, and she's still unconscious. So that's when Michael lets Matt know that he overheard a cop talking to Katya and that they are looking for his blood alcohol levels. Yeah, he confides in Matt. So Matt asks, how have you been drinking? And Michael reluctantly says, well, yeah, like, we, we I don't both know. were. I don't know, maybe a little. But, but you, you know, you know, with the new uh, 
super low blood alcohol The legal laws. limit just being so high. Uh, the, uh, the legal limit being so low now. I don't know. I, I, I we're, we're talking manslaughter if Kimberly dies. And I'd like to look up if the legal limit changed in 93. I mean, why? I, I probably around that time frame, why else would they make a reference to it? Yeah. Yeah. So he then starts kind of concocting this plan saying, you know, if I had a friend who had access to the computer system who might be able to change some numbers around for me, then, you know, I think that that could really solve this problem. And of course, Matt, being the the kind of guy he is, he is a very, like, by-the-book do-gooder. And he just immediately, Matt's like, no, what? I can't do that for you, Michael. He's like, look, you're just going to have to live with your live with the choices. And then Michael's basically like, oh, well, that's, that's really easy for you to say, Matt. I mean, you're not the one who will never practice medicine again and spend a lifetime in jail. But I guess you'll be able to sleep at night. I mean, because you never did break any of the rules that you imposed on yourself. Why don't you just go back to that job that I got gotcha? you? <laughs> I love that I should have known that I couldn't have asked you for a favor. Michael has... Like, he's got an ace up his sleeve for basically everybody. Like, he's just got it. Something to lord over them. Yeah, he's got it in the Rolodex whenever he needs it. And he knew it. He knew, like, he's been working on Matt. Because all at the beginning of season two, he's been working on Matt. He got him the job. And he just knew immediately. Great. Now Matt, now I own Matt. Yeah, Matt's he, got, I got something on him. Matt's been his little errand boy. Matt helps set up the party to make him look better for, for Melrose Place. Yeah. Like, he's just always, always plotting. And that's why I love you, Mancini. <laughs> right. So, of course, Matt is super conflicted. He leaves the room, and we can tell that he does not know what to do in this situation. So can you believe it, guys? Jane actually goes to visit Michael in the hospital. Didn't think that was going to happen. No, I didn't either. So he's now in like a little, I guess like his actual room where he's going to be recovering. And she walks in and Michael is so weird to her. He just looks at her as like, <laughs> can you believe it? And like is laughing and like joking like, look at me, I'm here in the hospital. It's like, okay, the woman you just proposed to is dying in another room, and you're freaking laughing with your ex-wife? And he what the th- hell's wrong with you? He says something like, I, th- I thought you'd come yesterday. And uh, she's like, no, <laughs> I wasn't. And then he says something like, well, I bet you could have seen me yesterday since you're my wife. But, and then he, like, has a, he like takes it back almost. Yeah, he's like, well, you're my ex-wife. Yeah, it's like, you, you probably could have got in. <laughs> so he he was like, look, Jane, we have this connection, don't we? And she, like, looks away, and she's like, okay. And then he asks her to go bring him some water. Real pathetically. He's like, could you, could you maybe give me a... It's like, it's like when your kid is sick. It's like a sitcom, and they're just like, oh, can, you, can you give me a bell so I can ring it? And, it, it, like, you just do it for him because it's like, eh. Yeah, so Jane acquiesces. She gets the water, brings it over, and tries to give it to him. And he's like, I can't really hold it because my hand shakes from all the medication that I'm on. Can you uh, just put it up to my <laughs> lips and I'll drink it? Can you, can you also get me a sandwich, please, from the cafeteria? And so Jane is 
bringing the cup to his lips. He's drinking the water and in doing so, like gives her this pathetic eye contact. That's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she starts spilling it and she's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't. Yeah. And then he's just like, come on, Jane, can't we be friends? And she's like, I have to go, you know, I, I got to get out of here. Like she's probably regretting her decision. And he then says, all the stuff that happened, it's just water on the, under the bridge. And she says, yeah, Michael, so much water that there's hardly a bridge there anymore. Yeah, it's done, broski. You can't be friends with her again. After everything, do we need to recap everything Michael yeah. has done? How many times in this episode do I have to say, you banged her sister? Yeah, that is like it's a no rap. going back. That bridge is not, there is not a bridge there. It is... Burnt to a crisp. It's gone. On Jane's way out of Michael's hospital room, she's walking down the hallway and notices that another room has Dr. Kimberly Shaw's name written on the door. And just, I guess, out of sheer curiosity, she opens it and she sees Kimberly connected to all of these breathing tubes and she's on like a ventilator. She looks fucked up. She looks horrible. Yeah. I mean, she's she's out, she's completely unconscious. She's pretty Tube. much a vegetable like tube down her throat. She can't breathe on her own. Mm-mm. And Jane And how can you just walk into a room like that? Well, I mean, this hospital's not secure. Well, if I was in that state, I don't want people just walking in. Do you think that there's security guards? That Maybe. Are, no, no, Dan. What if someone just walks in and like steps on a tube? It could happen, I suppose. Not into that. So Jane enters the room and gets a closer look at Kimberly and notices that Kimberly's wearing an engagement ring. She notices some tape. Over the engagement ring. Yeah. So she's like, what is that? And she walks over and peels the tape back. And it's an engagement ring. Yeah, so... She's kind of disgusted, I mean, as you would be, after all the stuff that's gone down. She's like, great. Now she's getting married. Yep. Good acting from Josie Bissett as well in this one. A lot of acting without words. I like it. The next scene is at D&D where it's late. Allison's having another one of her late work nights. Her and Billy are supposed to go out to dinner. And then Billy comes to pick her up. She says that she has to go make some copies. Billy sits down at her desk. And as he sits down, we hear this little, like, alarm. Like, Yeah. And so... Some shit that never happens. Ever. He looks at her screen, and there's this, like, huge notification that's like, you have one email from Steve McMillan. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to look at it? Press this massive button. And, of course... Billy considers this and weighs the options, and you can just tell that he's like, uh, I have to look, I have to look. So he opens up the email, and we see Steve's message to Allison. And it just says, like, the most blatantly, obviously, like, we hooked up. It's like, Allison, I'm at the ranch, and I'm really missing you. I'm just waiting for the time that we can be together again. Just wanted to say hi. Miss you. Love, Steve. And Billy is heartbroken. Yeah, he's... And then immediately after reading it, doesn't the screen change to, would you, like, close? You can save? 
delete or quit? <laughs> and he deletes it. He deletes it. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> I want that email program. So we are to believe that Billy is not going to tell Allison about this little email. and That's it- not his style. He wants to, like, catch. Yeah, you know? He's like an armchair detective where he... Yeah, he'd rather just follow you everywhere. Yeah. With your bags. So, guys, Sydney did go on this date. And I guess they are out of the hyena club. It's her and Carl. Carl has taken her back to his home. They've pulled up to this beautiful home in the Hollywood Hills. They're walking to the front door. And I love that Sydney's like, I like your house. It's like Japanese or something. It's like, no, I think they call that modern. So really, in this episode, we're really getting all of these lines to to let us know that Sydney is very uncultured. She's very inexperienced. She's out of her element. And I mean, I think that that's really going to set up the point that this was all so surprising to her and that she had no idea that she was being pawned off as a call girl. Yeah, so they're walking in and he's he's just like, Okay, uh, I'm going to go wash up. Well, Why don't you just sit on that couch and take off your clothes? Well, first he says, babe, he was, first she's like, hey, I know this is a little forward, but do you think I could ever come oh, visit right. the set of one of your movies? And he's, he's like, like uh, maybe, probably not. He says, oh, honey, anything is possible, but I'm going to just tell you, that's very unlikely. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, mister i mean i won't embarrass you or nothing and he's like ha, ha, ha. i'm gonna go get some drinks why don't you make yourself comfortable and take off your clothes and she and- just passes it off like oh men <laughs> so he comes back with drinks notices that she's still fully clothed and gives her this death stare and is like what's the problem and she's like um what do you mean then he's like, oh, okay, I get it. All the Lauren's girls like to get paid first. So he just cracks out his cash, flips like, I don't know, 500 bucks? I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a hefty fee. Yeah, he fl- yeah he, I, I wish I counted that. He, I usually, I normally would. Yeah. But he flips out like, we'll say for like 500 bucks. And at this point, too, another instance where... We have some music playing that I'm old. Now I'm like, what could it be? What's the music when Sid's getting cash? I feel like it's Madonna, Human Nature. I still think it's Shoop. (laughs) (laughs) Shoop by Salt and Pepper works in every scenario of Melrose Place. Hey, yeah, I want to shoot, baby. And so to this, I was, Sydney like stands up indignantly and I'm kind of like having trouble reading her. At first when she sees all this money, she's, I almost, I'm thinking, whoa, she might do this. Yeah. She got wide eyed, like I'm down. And he was like, okay, honey, let's do this slow. Take off your blouse. And she's just like still not going to action. And he's like, listen, you better get over here and hike up your skirt or I swear to God. And she just starts running. She leaves. So yeah, she's, she leaves. He's screaming at her and he's like, get back here, bitch. <laughs> it's like, well, and they're like two, in the hills. They're in the hills. Yeah, so she, she ran a long this time. This is pre-Uber. This is like 
No cell phones. Where is she going? She's just running. Is she just going to like pound on the neighbor's doors and say like, I almost got date raped or like somebody thinks I'm a prostitute? I don't get it. running down a dream. (laughs) So yeah, she's out of there, um, which I think is kind of like a missed opportunity. Like what else you got going for you, Sid? Yeah, come on. Come on, be a a, high-end sex worker. This is a career. Yeah. I mean, you're already like doing scandalous crap. Yeah. Why not get paid for it? Get get paid for it, Anyway. So we're at the last scene of the episode. A very important scene. Matt goes in to uh, sit down at a computer most of you all will remember as the computer that you learned how to type on when you were a child in fourth grade, third grade. Yeah, those old, old apples. Very old, like basic Mac. And all he does, like this is supposed to be some like hospital secure like database. And I, I don't even think he logs in. Yeah, he's like, just types in Mancini. Right. And then immediately <laughs> the report for his blood alcohol level just comes up on the screen. And it's just like, you can just go and change the number. So Michael was rocking a blood alcohol level of 0.15. Yikes. Loaded. Ooh. Guys, that is loaded. So if we are to um, assume that 0.08 is the... Legal limit. limit. I mean, at that point in time, mm-hmm. Matt then changes it to point oh six, just under. Yeah. And uh, and then it, of course it asks him if he would like to save or quit. <laughs> so he thinks it over for a moment <laughs> and decides that he's gonna save. Super easy. Super easy. So he saves it and roll them credits. So recap, what happened? Allison tries to immediately make things right with with Billy. Joe is still mad at Allison. Michael and Kimberly get in a car wreck. But first, Kimberly takes Michael back and says yes to his marriage proposal. And Katya runs the show. (laughs) Sydney gets mixed up in a prostitution ring. And then, of course, we end the episode with Matt making the decision to change the hospital records to reflect Michael's blood alcohol level as lower than what it actually was. Crazy. This was probably the first episode that I very much remember. Like, I, like when I was a kid, I remember the storyline of Michael getting in a car crash, being paralyzed, and somehow Matt... Like, fixing it. And this was a really big... I think this episode itself is looked on by the writers and creators of Melrose Place because there aren't a lot of episodes that have the commentary by Darren Starr. There's, like... I think this is the only one we've come across. Yeah. And he... This was pivotal. Yeah. He made a point in saying it was a pivotal episode that it really did lay the groundwork for a lot of the crazy storylines that made the show what it is. And he said that Kimberly's supposed to die in that car. He said... But they, but they were like, I don't know, guys. He said that while shooting the scene, the car crash scene, that they had planned that Kimberly would be killed off, that that would be her last episode. But during the scene, they got together and said, you know, Kimberly is such a great character. We should probably rethink the outcome of this. 
And not to spoil anything, because really, we don't really fully know what this is going to turn into, but he said that the decision was made to keep Marsha Cross on as a regular Mm -hmm. uh, at that shooting. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, a really important episode for the entire, (laughs) for all of the characters of Melrose Place. Yeah, lots going on. Uh, not a lot of 90s moments, man. I would disagree. Do you think there was a lot? Yeah. I got, I got, uh, the Cutlass that yeah. Michael drives. Heck yeah. When, when they're running in the beginning of the episode, Jane has on these white scrunchy socks that, mm. oh God, wearing those socks with like tennis shoes that were all like, like ribbed and you would scrunch down around your ankle. Yeah. That was Real big back then. I got the the email that Allison's running on her computer. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of the computer stuff that we saw this episode with the email and the, the program that Matt had to alter, like, that totally screams like 90s. super basic. Um, when Michael references that, can you believe that people actually listen to tapes of the sea? To try to fall asleep oh, at night. Oh, nice. The, the, Good find. <laughs> thanks, man. The term, using the term geek, that's something that you don't hear a lot back in the 90s. Like, that was such an insult if you were called a geek. Now geek is praised. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a geek. Like, like you're yeah. cool. You're cool, cool to be a geek. Nerd and geek is, like, yeah. super cool now. And, of course, when... Um, Allison is on the phone with Steve and she's praising the fax machine and is like, well, just zip on, zip them on over to me on my fax machine. That's another big thing. That's like, fax is dead. Oh man. No, I sometimes like some of my clients want to still use faxes and I'm just like, what is wrong with you guys? Like we're in 2017. No, like no. Scan that shit. Scan it and email it. Uh, the boombox that we see at the dinner. Dang, I just missed them all, huh? Because this was such a this was such a huge episode. So much, yeah. I so was much happened. I mean, there was so much that was packed into this. Like, what is it? Like forty minutes? There's so much that happened. And a lot of these guys, like, I just want to not take notes and just watch it. Yeah, but we have to like pause so it sometimes and like. Right, very vigorously. Yeah. And the last thing that I caught is when uh, when Amanda rushes into the hospital room and she's like, I came as soon as I heard the message on my machine. And do you remember like in the 90s, oh, yeah. everyone would call their answering machine. They would just like say it like, I heard it on my machine. And then when someone would reference my machine, it would always mean your answering machine. Right. Yep. I remember that. Man. God bless the 90s. God, I miss them. So, all of these episodes have a lesson. We try to find them and deliver them for you so that you can change your life by watching Melrose Place. Jenny, what is that lesson? Don't let the drunk one drive. (laughs) It's obvious. Mm -hmm. Kimberly is, although she had been drinking, she refuses more glasses of champagne. Michael is wasted. Kimberly, if Kimberly doesn't see that, she's a doctor. I mean, she sh- she should have enough smarts to know this guy is crazy. When he swerves the first time, that should have been like, 
stop the car, pull over, I'm going to drive. And she was like, when he did swerve, she was like, are you good to drive? Yeah, and she should have been like, get out. Yeah. Don't let the drunk one drive. Don't let the drunk one drive, guys. My lesson is to never take no for an answer because it pays off for so many people. Oh, does it? I was just thinking about it. Like, Michael, you know, Michael's been dumped a lot. But he gets all of the women to take him back. Yeah, because he just doesn't fucking quit. He wears them down. He as just he puts wears it. them down. Never take no for an answer. Also, Sydney's working on just never taking no. <laughs> Ever. She's like, one day I'm going to walk downstairs and knock on Jane's door and it's all going to be cool. And she just doesn't take no. She's, she's doing it with Michael, too. She's, I, she still thinks they're together. And then um, just with that email from Steve... He's like, man, like, Allison is taken. She has a boyfriend. She lives with him. Steve doesn't give a fuck. Nope. Just don't, don't take no. He's like, I'm good. I'm going to get that kiss. I'm going to get these other things. And I will get her cookies. Oh, God. So, and we've come to the portion of the show that is one of our very favorites. And it's called Bitch of the Week. Okay, guys, last week I said, surprisingly, that Jake was the bitch for being so bitchy with Amanda. And Jenny said that Steve was the bitch for continuing his hot pursuit of Allison while she is with Billy. And with 78% of the vote, Steve McMillan... Is bitch of the week. You crush me in bitch of the week. Oh yes, I do crush you, little man. You crush me like Katya. (laughs) So this week, Jenny, who you got? This week, it's gotta be Michael Mancini. He, oh my gosh, he just never ceases to amaze me at how bitchy he can be. First off. He gets Kimberly to come back to the hospital under the guise that he's not going to talk about anything that is not professional. And that's all he does every time he sees Kimberly. Oh, Kimberly, I want you back. Kimberly, I love you. Kimberly, please look at me. Please talk to me. And that's number one. It's like you promised that you would be professional at work and look at you. You're totally going back on everything you're saying. But it's Michael. What do we expect? Secondly... He goes into her car, breaking and entering, okay? Like, he has a key, granted, but they're not seeing each other. That ain't cool. He gets her to finally (laughs) say yes to going back out with him. And when they do, he gets bombed. You're out on a date. You're trying to rekindle this relationship, and he just gets wasted. What the heck is that about? Okay? He should be groveling. He should be doing everything he can to woo her back. Not getting shit-faced. And then he has the gall to ask her to marry him in that fashion while he's wasted on the first date that they're going out again after having been apart for so long because he cheated on her? What? Okay? That in itself is insane, too. Then 
he gets behind the wheel of a car. When you are drinking, especially having drank that much, being that irresponsible and putting your life and other people's lives on the road and the person that you just said that you love more than life itself and you want to be with this woman, you're going to put her life in danger. And then he does so by getting in a tragic accident because he's messing around and not paying attention in the car and almost we think as an audience that she's dead or she's on her way to being dead. Then... Not over yet, guys. We then go to <laughs> the hospital. Put a shot on this. We then go to the hospital where he only wants to know how's Kimberly doing, and we think, oh, Michael, he really does feel for Kimberly. He really wants everything to be okay with her, until a cop comes in and asks about blood alcohol level, and then his concern is if she dies, it's manslaughter on me. What? This is a woman that you love. You just asked to marry you. And you're concerned if she dies, you're going to go to jail. Honey, that should be the least of your worries. Okay. If she dies, you better pray that you're going to, that you would go to jail because that's what you deserve. And then to guilt poor Matt, poor Matt, the one character who's there to support all of the other characters of Melrose Place. Oh, and I totally glossed over the fact that the woman that he loves and just proposed to is dying in the room next to him, that he's flirting with his ex-wife when she... Horrible! And then coercing Matt to totally go against his ethics. I think it's a no-brainer, guys. If you don't think that Michael Mancini is the bitch of this episode, you cry. He is. My bitch of the week is Sydney. That's it. <laughs> This shit is too long, man. I'm sorry. There are just so many instances. There are so many things. I have to lay them all out there. I got to make that argument. Okay. They got to know. So, Daniel, this episode was named Collision Course, which I think was a really apt name, but we can do better. What do you think? What, What are you renaming it? I'm renaming this episode... Katya to the rescue. (laughs) What a superwoman. She is. What about you? I'm renaming it Over the Limit and Under Pressure. Hmm. (laughs) Interesting. Because blood alcohols. I read you. Yeah, okay. Predictions. I think Michael's going to avoid jail time. I think Kimberly has to come back. She's coming back, but not the same. I think Billy is going to confront Allison, and I think Sydney is going to go into prostitution and be a high-end sex worker. Why not? Uh, And then I think that Joe's got to find out about Allison and Steve, and she's probably going to blow it all up and go ballistic and, of course, we talked a little bit about this previously, but now Michael has more ammunition against Matt that he can use that to blackmail him and then make him do things in the future because he's compromised his position by changing the stuff in the system. Mm. I think that, yes, Kimberly comes back, but I think she comes back with some sort of amnesia and the ring on her finger is going to... Um, uh, play a play into it, like 
Michael's gonna sort of like talk to her about how like oh yeah we're we've been engaged and like and maybe do you think that she's gonna forget that he even cheated on her that yeah that or that she doesn't even know who Michael is and he's like or that yeah, she we're... or that she was driving the car like some some shit like that is gonna happen and like Michael's gonna play her and then. Then she's gonna like it's all gonna come back, and then she's gonna like sabotage everybody. That's what I think is gonna happen with her. Uh, I think Sydney does go full prostitute. I think Allison and Billy break up, and I think Jake and Joe reconcile. Mm. I think that's gonna happen, guys. I'd like to see that one. So we ask you to review the podcast if you like what you're hearing. And we got another review. So you know what we do here, guys. If you take the time to write us a review, we will take the time to read it on the show. So this one comes in for cin- from Cinnamon Pod, which is a cool name. Like It's like cinnamon, like cinema. Like movie, yeah. Yeah. Movie Men Pod. And the title of this review is amazing! What a great podcast. If you are a fan of this show, this is the podcast for you. Listen, subscribe, and fall in love with a great podcast. Thanks, Cinnamon. Thank you so much, Cinnamon Pod. And I love Cinnamon. Toast Crunch. The Spice. So good. And we really appreciate you taking the time to write us that review. And we invite anybody who has yet to do so to please let us know what you think. Write us us that review. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. And of course... Yeah, it helps us a lot, man. And we like reading them. Yeah, it's it's nice to know. Give us something to read. (laughs) And if you're not, uh, if you still want more... You can become a patron on Patreon and get bonus content in addition to some fun little perks. All of our patrons just received a handwritten note from us in addition to some fun little some badass stickers y'all. in the mail. And we're going to, of course, keep that correspondence up. So if you do become a patron of ours, you can expect to receive some goodies in the mail along with some bonus content. And you can donate just as little as a dollar a month. So Just a buck. That's it. Just a dollar. So if a dollar make you holla. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Melrose Pod and hook it up. The Melrose Place podcast group is blowing up. It's blowing up. You need to get in there. Go to Facebook.com and search for groups. Type in or just go to our just go to our Facebook. Go to Melrose Place Facebook and the group is linked in there. But if you like this show, you gotta join. There's so many cool people in there talking Melrose Place, helping us out with songs. It's awesome. Cause we don't know the songs because we're watching it on a different on a different box set. Um, Allison on Facebook hooked us up. She wrote, uh, she wrote that she has the DVDs with the original music, but they're ripped off the soap opera network. Um, but basically, the episode where Michael is throwing uh, his divorce party that Matt helped set up, babe. Yeah. Uh, they were playing Good Vibrations by Marky Mark. Marky Mark. I love that. It's got your good vibrations. Come on, come on. Feel it, feel it. And that's why everybody was dancing hard in there. Yeah, because when bum, you know bum, that, bum, it bum, makes bum, so much bum, more bum, sense. 
how yeah. they're how they're reacting to the music. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, when Joe, when Joe Reynolds was riding around the ghetto, just stealing photos of homeless people, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and got arrested for her gun, the song uh, "Mr. Wendell" by Arrested Development was playing. That's the one that's like. Mr. Wendell, yeah. So it definitely had some '90s things. So thanks, thanks, Alyssa or Alisa for for sharing that with us. And really having that information and knowing what the songs actually were, I think just enhances our overall experience and yeah. just gives us an idea of what it was really like when these episode. And when they aired. So thank you so much for letting us know that. Yeah. Justin in the group, he shared this photo of this old, it's called the 90s game. And there's. It's like a trivia game. Yeah. From and, the 90s. Yeah. And there's so much uh, Melrose Place season three trivia in it. Oh my gosh. The I want to play that. Fun. Game looks a lot of fun. Just get in this group, man. It's a good time. Oh, and also we were given a recommendation about these Melrose Place mugs and like nine. It was like a, a Melrose Place nine hundred two, one zero coffee mug set that one of our members suggested. And of course, the moment we saw them, Dan had to buy them immediately. Hi, Kristen. Thanks so much for sharing. Those mugs with me. And what we're saying is, if you're a super fan of Melrose Place, this group is where you need to be because we have what's happening with Melrose Place and where you can find cool articles or fun little pieces of merch or cool stuff that you can get to help your Melrose Place addiction. It's going down. And Kristen is for real super fan. She's watching freaking Melrose Place in her shower. I like, love her. And, uh, and I'm oh not showing God. you a picture of her in the shower. She just sent us a picture of her like iPad or something in like in the shower caddy. You gotta watch it where you can, you know. Hey, the struggle is real. You gotta get it in. We got a really, really awesome email from Jill. Hi, Jill. Hi. She says she's never reached out to a podcast that she's listened to before, but Melrose Place is worth it. Love your podcast. You guys do a great job of making fun of the show in a loving way that only a real fan can. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like one of me and Jenny's main concerns was like we didn't we don't want to do this podcast and just shit on it all day. Although you know, I have a tough time with Billy and I had a tough time with Rhonda, but we love we love it, but it's like it's one awesome. of those. It's one of those things where some crazy stuff happens, and you gotta point out the crazy. You gotta laugh at it. Yeah, you gotta laugh at but it. But we man. love it, and we're so glad that you're liking what we're doing. So thank you, Jill, so much. Yeah, thanks, Jill. She says my Melrose journey started in '92 when I was 12 years old. Nine, a 12 year old 90210 fan who turned into the pilot episode to see Kelly Taylor and Jake Hansen. And I bet, I bet that worked, you know? As much totally. as we hated that storyline, that's the way to do it. That's what people wanted you to see. Yeah, you spin it off. Uh, she ended up watching all seven seasons, although the last couple weren't that good, and I barely remember <laughs> them. Don't hate me, but for some reason, I was a Billy fan back in the day. So was I. Then again, I was 12, and he acted like he was 12, so he probably 
So he was probably my dream man back then. She's rewatching the show with us now. And she agrees, Billy sucks. <laughs> but again, Jill, thank you so much for that kind email. And um, we love hearing from you. And it just really warms our heart that you're. It really does, it. man. Thank you, guys. Send us emails. Tell us how. Tell us your experiences with with Melrose Place and why you love it. And she also said, last thing, that the the song that Joe was flailing around to, like Elaine and Seinfeld, yeah. was "Emotional" by Whitney Houston. I get so emotional, baby. Every time I think of you, I get so emotional, baby. I can't stop it now. Makes sense. But again, should have been Shoop. <laughs> really could have used Shoop. Yeah. Shoop is, Shoop will work. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Melrose Pod. If you are Thomas Calabro or Daphne Zaniga or Josie Bissett, we want you on the podcast as a guest. Or Courtney Thorne Smith. Or Courtney Thorne Smith. Or anybody. Even, and we'll, we'll take anybody. Even if you worked on the show, we'd love, 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 love to talk to you. Except, but anyway. Except Andrew Shue. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I would love to talk to Andrew Shue. Well, guys, thanks again. Hit we us up. We love Smut and we love you. Bye.